0: Support for the Most Accurate Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code TMAP. I got
1: a good, good, a good feeling. Yeah. I got a good, good, a good feeling.
0: I got a good good a good feeling. Yeah, Mom on the cloud ain't coming back now. I got a good good
2: a good feeling. Hello and welcome to another episode of 44's the most accurate podcast. My name is John Paulson. I'm doing another bonus pod today. I will introduce our guest in a moment. First, the music today. I heard it on the episode of Hard Knocks last night. I I shazammed it and uh, put it at the top of the pod here. It's Got a Good Feeling by Pigeon John. I thought it was pretty catchy. i put it on the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, which you can find uh, a link to uh, in the show notes, uh, the playlist on Spotify. Um, And you can find the link on my Twitter as well. Uh, we've extended um, our big FFPC main event giveaway uh, through the end of the month, and I have agreed to be available for to co-draft with the winner of this uh, main event uh, entry. So if you want me to vote uh, to draft with you, I will be happy to assist you, uh, get on a call with you and answer whatever questions you have. Uh, if you don't want my help, that's totally fine too. I can save the extra two or three hours of my day, but I'm happy to help. Uh, so we're also giving away eight autographed jerseys. Uh, From pristine auction and 25 very comfy 444 t-shirts for more details go to bit.ly slash 444 give that's the number four for the number four give and that's all lowercase bitly ly slash 444 give as a bonus uh, You can get a hundred Entries if you sign up for a subscription to 444 Uh, so as a bonus if you get uh, 10% off any 444 sub with the code John 10 I just want to mention the other sponsor. The podcast today is also brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Say hello to your new favorite place to play fantasy football for real money, Underdog Fantasy. I just would like to say that Anthony does a lot better job at these reads than I do. He's a pro. I am uh, amateur at this. But let's bring in our guest, uh, Patrick Doherty of Roto World NBC Sports. He also goes by Pat, I learned this morning (laughs) uh, or today. Uh, You can find him on Twitter at RotoPat. Pat, thanks for coming on the pod. It's
1: my pleasure. And yeah, you know, I just adopted that mentality young. Like, uh, I'm not going to try to like have an enforcement team for Patrick, and uh, you know, the one syllable, it's good. Just let people go with Pat if they want. And yeah, and so. with
2: with the name of Rotopad, I think people probably yeah. default to Pat. <laughs>
1: Which I guess. don't. I just go back and forth in the handle. Like, uh, the only reason it's Rotopad is because Patrick Darty was too many characters. I uh, have this uh-huh. very long Irish name. And I needed something short and pithy and uh, <laughs> short, short character. And uh, I don't know. It seems to have stuck. Sometimes I think it's ridiculous, but people uh, enjoy
2: it. So I think I think the best names are sometimes ridiculous, but have stuck. Yes, no, it's true. Handles. It
1: is true. Um,
2: uh, so I've met you at uh, the fantasy conference in Vegas. I think we've talked a couple times in person, or at least once. Uh, friends with you least, on yeah,
1: more than yeah, once. I think we met in L.A. too. Maybe um, were you there?
2: Yeah, I was uh, at the okay. L.A. one. So I think it, maybe it was it was at least twice. Yes. At least twice. Uh, no, so we're I we're, believe... we're
1: real life friends, is what you're trying to say?
2: Yeah, I'm trying to say we're we're yeah we at least have met each other in real life. <laughs> unlike a lot of people on Twitter who are friendly but don't really know each other at all. So. Um, I'm happy to have you on. This is your first time on the pod. So that's great. I thought we'd talk, uh, uh murky backfields today and breakout tight ends. But the first thing I wanted to ask you about was this apex, uh, draft. It's like a industry writer's draft. I got asked to be in it this year. So I'm just joining it. And, uh, you picked from the sixth spot. I picked from the eighth spot and this is unlike a uh, best ball draft. This is one we're actually going to play out. So it's a little bit more competitive. And I think people are trying actually trying to draft a team that they're going to live with the entire year and have to <laughs> try to win <laughs> yeah. games with. Um, you pick six. So I'm going to go through your roster, and you can give me whatever thoughts you had on it. But you took Michael Thomas in the first round at 106, then Aaron Jones on the way back in the second, uh, D.J. Moore in the third, David Johnson in the fourth, T.Y. Hilton in the fifth, uh, Devin Singletary in the sixth, uh, Rob Gronkowski in the seventh. Uh, Already Nicole regretting Hardman. that one. It's been about yeah. a month. And, uh, it's a little like looking at the other tight ends that went a little bit early. I don't know what um, vapors
1: were in the air that day. But, uh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you took Hardman in the eighth. Uh, this is uh, Preston Williams in the ninth. Austin Hooper in the tenth. So you got two tight ends there. Carson Wentz uh, in the 11th. Uh, Brashad Perryman in the 12th. Uh, Raquel Almstead in the 13th. Uh, Justin Jackson in the fourteenth, Mohamed Sanu in the fifteenth, Matthew Stafford in the sixteenth, the Ravens defense, and uh, this is a kicker defense thing. So, uh, the Ravens defense in the seventeenth, and Dan Bailey in the eighteenth. Which 18th I timed round. out
1: on. Apparently, I so, timed out on my very <laughs> final pick. Thank God. Well, I'm a little behind the pick.
2: scenes here. I was I was trying to get this draft over with as quickly as possible. <laughs> <You> so <were. laughs> I was I was texting everybody and. Uh, DMing everybody when they were on the clock for a long time, and Pat had a tendency to forget that he was on the clock. So I, instead of just continuing to DM him, I made a video of a computer voice saying, Roto-Pat, you were on the <laughs> clock," and I would just send it to him because it would make me laugh. I don't know if it made him laugh, but I, I it hope did. it did. Yeah. Uh, so, what do you what do you make of your team after you know a week or two after this is over?
1: I'm pretty. I'm actually happier with it now. So I started out feeling I was very, very happy with the Thomas Jones DJ Moore beginning, basically where. Mm-hmm. The six, seven spot, you know, it's kind of like the 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 corner of death this year. Not that it's a corner; it's the, you know, the dead smack middle of the first round. But I, I was hard to decide between Thomas and Cook. But I'm just, I just decided to take the, you know, the best receiver, the best PPR receiver. This is PPR, right? Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> yes, uh, <laughs> and I was just very, very happy. So you know, missing on the the big five. Maybe some people only say the big four running backs. uh... Well, I, I guess Dalvin Cook could be part of the big 4 and I passed on him, but um it was it's a tough spot knowing that I wasn't going to get one of the like the guaranteed elite running backs. But then coming out of the first 3 rounds with two of the best compiling receivers and Michael Thomas and DJ Moore, I was very happy about. And I still I, I remain much higher than consensus on Aaron Jones, who you know we all know the touchdown regression is going to happen, but I mean, even if he had scored like 10 fewer touchdowns last year, he still would have been an RB1. Yeah. And, like that's one thing I just don't understand about the Aaron Jones debate. That even yeah, even without the touchdowns last year, it would have been an RB one season, and you know, he's still the lead back for a run focused offense. And we've seen it. he's going to be part of a committee, but that's nothing new for him. He he renders committees obsolete. He's just an extremely good player, and with to me, no change in this role. I mean, people are so spooked by AJ Dillon, but I mean again, he's yeah. used to operating with a second back and. I mean, maybe A.J. A. Dillon vultures a few more touchdowns than people are comfortable with, but I was very, very happy. That's the very long way of saying I was very happy of getting Aaron Jones at 19th overall.
2: Yeah, I like him in the middle of that. Uh, second round and i i saw some slander on twitter and went on a rant about it but i, I don't get it either <laughs> like if he had if he had cut his touchdowns in half i think he would have finished rb7 last year so, yeah. and, and, so and the thing, he's
1: being drafted responsibly. i mean he's going as like the rb11 or 12 most so like yeah it's not like people are being over exuberant like they people have baked in the regression already and to me i think they've baked in too much regression but he's a very sound draft pick in his adp and uh, i mean i think he'll overperform his adp
2: He's also just, like, really good. Like Yeah, it's exactly, really, that's exactly the thing. Really uh, good I just player, don't so. understand.
1: Yeah, it's like we need new storylines because, you know, for a year or two, you know, we had to like, complain about how the Packers weren't using Aaron Jones correctly. And right. then they did, and he was amazing, and we were right. And now somehow we're moving on already, and, we're, like, we're scared by A.J. Dillon, a rookie powerback who received zero offseason reps of any kind, and – I don't know. I, people, you know, there's just a few players that get kind of galaxy-brained, overthought every year, and I definitely think Aaron Jones is one of those players this year.
2: I think I think that's one of the bonuses of having a middle round pick this year is that you can get a, a pretty good running back, maybe a Cook, maybe a Clyde Edwards-Helaire, whoever else you like there in the first round, and then you get a pretty good uh, Eckler, Mixon, Drake. I mean, Drake might slip now because of those boot. Uh, Jacobs or Aaron Aaron Jones in the second round. I think that's, you know, you, this cutoff at the RB14 to me, there's a drop-off, and um, that is, the I guess, the plus of being there in that, in that mid-to-late first round is that you can get two of those guys if you want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I would have been a little, like at six, being able to choose between Thomas and Cook, I would have felt pretty great. But if I had been eighth and, like, Thomas was gone and Cook was gone, and then, like, it comes down to me, like someone like Hilaire, Edwards Hilaire, or Devontae Adams, then I would have not felt quite as good but being able to just lock in michael thomas yeah i i joke about the sixth spot being like undesirable but like yeah if you can get michael thomas there it's it's pretty darn desirable this year
2: well that was a nice segue to talk about the eighth spot because that's where i drafted from and i did draft clyde edward Tulare, and i was actually happy that um jj zacharyson took Dalvin cook because i really don't want to draft him this year with his shoulder bulky shoulder and this whole holdout possibility so i decided to roll the dice on edward Tulare. I took uh, Eckler in the second round, since this is full PPR. Um, So this is third rounds where things, for me, kind of went off the rails. I took uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, in the third round, and probably shouldn't have, given the fact that this is an industry draft, I should have known that everybody's going to play quarterback chicken and not be... Did we ever. But, I, but, but then I... And you really did. And I probably should have drafted the receiver there or something. But I've actually, you know, I'll get to the whole team here. But I actually worked out okay, I think. So I took Patrick Mahomes in the third. In the fourth round, I saw Mark Andrews there, and I was like, hell yeah. And yeah, so, so that really, I,
1: If you consider the Mahomes pick bad, uh, which, you know, I'm not saying I do... the Andrews pick definitely offsets that, I feel like, because that's, like, such a great pick in the fourth round there for you.
2: Yeah, and the, and the, the whole third round quarterback there's there's just like this weird hole in the third round for me with talent I'm just not crazy about taking these receivers there when I know I can get them later but this this draft went so wide receiver heavy it was not that I, it turns out I could not get them later the way I wanted to so the, I do regret the Mahomes pick for that reason but in normal drafts um, when I'm not going to take a tight end in the fourth uh, you know I can take wide receivers four through seven and be in really good shape anyway I took Andrews in the fourth Uh, Stefan Diggs in the fifth, Julian Edelman in the sixth, Jamison Crowder in the seventh. I think at this point I was tweeting you. I'm just trying to draft targets at this point. (laughs) Um, In the eighth, I took Emmanuel Sanders, and in in the ninth, I took John Brown. So I ended up with five pretty good receivers that I'm fairly happy with. Uh, In the tenth, I took uh, Tyler Higby. That was a a value pick. It was two rounds after Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram went, so I was pretty happy about that. Then I got Jerry Judy, which I thought was a really – wide receiver 59 i got him in the 11th then i came back with my boring veteran because i only had two running backs on the roster at this point i took adrian peterson in the 12th to get the season started with some with some carries uh joshua kelly in the 13th i was the first one to take a defense uh with the 49ers and and so, I, uh,
1: too, so many party fouls from you in this draft man, the quarterback, the defense. Yeah. Well, um, I'm a
2: total noob apparently with this league. <laughs> uh I, take, I was the third one or fourth one to take a tight end, the second one to take a quarterback and the first one to take a, a defense, but um I was like looking at the players available and I was like eh.
1: everyone knows you don't know how to rank. So it's no
2: it's no surprise. <laughs> that's that That's fair. Draft. Yeah. Uh, but I got Brian Edwards in the fifteenth, uh, which is now looking like a good pick. Uh, Miles Boykin, who is doing well in camp, uh, in the sixteenth. So actually, my receivers, I think, are going to be fine. Uh, Greg Zeroline uh, in the seventeenth, and then I took Sony Michelle in the eighteenth, and that suddenly is looking like a decent pick. So
1: that's ridiculous was, that he fell all the way to the eight. I mean, that's just like that's over. RB seventy-two. Nobody
2: wanted him. Nobody wanted him. I, the only, only other team I want to talk about is CD Carter, just because it's so ridiculous. Uh he did he did full uh zero RB. Uh five started five run, uh receivers, Julio Jones, DeAndre Hopkins, uh AJ Brown, Devontae Parker, and Will Fuller. Then he turned tables into five straight running backs, Fournette, Cohen, White, Lindsay, Carrion Johnson. He stopped for a moment and took a tight end with uh, Blake Jarwin. Then he took four more running backs, AJ Dillon, <laughs> uh, Carlos Hyde, Lamar Miller. Lamar Miller. Uh and Perrine and then he took one uh receiver he must really like Chase Claypool because he took him then he took Devonta Freeman and then his last pick if you hadn't noticed he hadn't taken a quarterback and he got Aaron Rodgers with the uh, 18th pick I think it's probably the first time in a long time that he got anybody got Aaron Rodgers in the 18th round (laughs) so we'll see how that this plays out this will be a fun one to uh get through uh this year um so let's talk about some um Murky backfields. Uh, today there was a scare in Chicago with David Montgomery uh, being carted off the field. Apparently he has a groin injury. He's dead. Um, yeah, basically.
1: <laughs> <Sorry>. uh, <laughs> Not really inappropriate joke, even if yep. it's like a... But uh, no, yeah, it was a groin injury. Uh, it was a groin like... injury.
2: Uh, they, they were pretty happy it wasn't a knee. Um, uh, I would say Twitter was a Twitter with a speculation about the signing of Devonta Freeman or a trade for somebody like Gus Edwards or Royce Freeman. Uh, Matt Nagy, quote, can't say one way or the other right now how long it'll be out. Uh, football injury doc uh, described the injury as a sports hernia. Severe would require 48 weeks uh, surgery, and it would require 48 weeks recovery. Uh, mild, moderate strain would also require 48 weeks, but it would be uh, just rehab uh, with no surgery. So his September availability is very much in doubt. What do you make of this, and are they going to make a move, do you think, or is it gonna, are they going to pick up the slack with the players that are on the roster?
1: Well, yeah. First off, I mean, it's just a real bummer because even if we don't love David Montgomery's talent, which you know a lot of us don't, and I don't not can't speak for you, but uh, you know, wanted him to be this like a uh, whole is greater than the sum of his parts running back, and he was not that last year. But uh, you know, just such a great value, you know, barely being going, barely being drafted as an RB two with just like no competition whatsoever for carries, and which makes me so the Bears. I mean, a very obvious spot to add a running back. Would you not agree? I mean, Ryan Null... Uh, I mean, is Ryan Nall like a real person? I've um, you know, <laughs> been informed that he is, but an and offense too that even without Mitchell Trubisky is going to, I'm assuming Nick Foles will be the starter, is going to want to lean on the running game and you just can't, you can't go out there with just Ryan Nall and Tariq Cohen. So, I mean, to, to me, there, there is a pretty high, pro- they already needed to add a running back in my, even with a healthy David Montgomery, I thought they needed to add a running back. Yeah, I would say there's a high probability they add a veteran free agent and I mean, definitely in release you've already drafted, I mean, Ryan Null, I mean, a total freebie. You obviously pick him up immediately. Uh, I would even put in like a decent fab bid on him. Um, but, yeah, I, I think uh, they have to add a back. I mean, again, I already thought that. I thought they already needed to, and I would be very surprised if they did not add a veteran back.
2: The one name to remember, I think, besides Null, uh, is Cordero Patterson, because he's apparently been working with the running back group there. And he does have experience carrying the ball. He's not going to be a, a bell cow or anything like that, but maybe he can be part of a committee that can it's get true. It's true. I mean, he he can definitely yeah. be an
1: intriguing part of a committee. I would be. I don't think we'll like see like the final transformation of Cordero Patterson into an actual running back this year. But <laughs> to me, that would probably be a better option than using Ryan Null. But uh,
2: yeah, and I don't know that the, that he can handle the number of carries they might need from him no. and Cohen. And Cohen's not a particularly good like runner.
1: He wasn't a particularly good receiver last year either. Um, so they've got some problems in their backfield.
2: All right, so we'll see if they add a Devonta Freeman or, uh, or somebody else or make it try to make a trade. Uh, we'll see. Uh, moving on to the Rams backfield. I'm not sure that it's clearing up, but I have, with this injury to uh, Darrell Henderson, or is it Darrell Henderson? I always forget. Uh, he has a hamstring injury. I think he's questionable for week one at this point. To me, it's opening the door here for Cam Akers. I think they're going to rush him onto the field and, you know, maybe use Malcolm Brown and short yards and stuff. But I, I don't think that they used a, a second round pick on Akers, you know, because they were super comfortable and wanted to run a really a full committee here. Um, what do you think this backfield looks like in 2020?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head that it speaks volumes that they spent an entire year observing Daryl Henderson in practice and then, still a year later, saw fit to go out and use. You know, that, was Cam Akers their first pick? I mean, he was a second-round pick, I believe. He was their first up pick. Up there, yeah. And to use their first pick on a running back after, you know, a whole year of observing Daryl Henderson, that doesn't exactly project confidence in the player. And uh, yeah, I think, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't love Cam Akers like as a player necessarily, but he is only twenty-one. I mean, he does, he does seem to have a legitimate upside and upside in all three downs and. You know, Malcolm Brown is like the definition of just a guy. Maybe he'll steal some touchdowns, uh, you know, some short yardage carries. But it's setting up pretty well for Cam Akers at this point. And, yeah, just when I would evaluate – it is an admittedly confusing situation, but when I would think about the Rams running back uh, room all offseason, that's the thing I would focus on, that they had a whole year to observe Daryl Henderson and didn't have faith enough to, you know, to not use a second-round pick on running back. So – That's the bullet point I'm focused on, and I think Cam Akers will be a very comfortable uh, touch and snap leader at this point in that
2: backfield. Yeah, he wasn't a guy I was targeting or getting much of because I was typically going running back early, and now I'm a little more comfortable if I need a second running back in the fifth round of drafting him or Ingram. There's a couple guys available now that I'm fairly comfortable with. I guess Ronald Jones. We'll talk about him in a minute. But uh, how about Washington? We've got Adrian Peterson. I touched on him earlier. I think he'll be the – early down guy for now. Uh, Bryce Love is apparently looking pretty good. And Antonio Gibson is the guy who's seen his ADP really skyrocket since the uh, Darius Geis release. Um, they're all vying for touches. What do you? How does this look here, the month of September?
1: Well, I thought it was interesting when you are going through your Apex team. I did not remember that you had drafted Adrian Peterson, and I was going to have to talk up, not talk up Adrian Peterson, but so my first somewhat related thought is that I feel like all the, like the old man plaudits we give Frank Gore should really be going to Adrian Peterson because yeah. Frank Gore has been kind of like a sub replacement level player for several years now, and I'm not saying Adrian Peterson's like a huge asset at this point, but I mean he's still an above average between the tackles runner, and like, in, what he's 35 now. I mean, talk about some old man energy, and I think he's absolutely going to lead Washington in carries and Antonio Gibson. You know, I understand. Um, I understand the intrigue, and I understand why people are kind of forcing an issue with him. But you know, these offensive weapon types, um, teams have trouble enough integrating them into the offense in normal years, and then you have a year like this where zero off-season practice reps of any kind. I just think it's going to be so difficult to really like get Antonio Gibson in the flow of things at least early in the season. And um, his ADP's is not out of control; like he, he's in like the mid forties, basically, right? antonio gibson rb 40s that is Um, yeah yeah that's not out of control but yeah i I do think he he will probably be a road to disappointment despite you know many many uh reasonable uh like realistic reasons for intrigue
2: yeah i look at him as maybe a 8 to 12 touch player uh that would be a good outcome for him i feel like it could be
1: even lower than that you know yeah
2: i'd like to see four or five catches because those are high yield and then maybe four or five uh, carries as well. But if Bryce Love is getting carries, then Gibson may not see much at all. Unless, you know, if it was a Peterson and Gibson backfield I could feel better about Gibson. But I mean Bryce Love now getting in the mix makes it a little more difficult. Um Tampa, uh Rojo is the main guy per uh Bruce Arians, but the LaShawn McCoy signing kinda of throws a wrench into Jones being a three down back. I saw some footage of him dropping passes. Uh I guess oh he caught passes the next day. <laughs> so that's good. Uh passing down or pass, pass blocking was the bugaboo last year for him. He's apparently been working on it. Do you think he's going in the 5th round now? And I've actually seen him going in the 4th round some. Does he need to play three downs to return value in the 5th round or do you think he can do that on, you know, first and second down type work?
1: That's a really interesting question. I think he's probably kind of in the sweet spot for the role he's gonna have, where I think he can return value. Yeah, um, It is, it all comes down to pass protection, because as we know, I mean, it's true basically for every running back, but I mean, talk about a quarterback who is not going to tolerate pass protection mistakes and Tom Brady, um, you know, Keyshawn Vaughn, that threat seems to have been neutralized, obviously, where the rookie, like I think probably a lot of rookies are is just too far behind after the non-existent off season. And, You know, the Shady thing's interesting, but to me, that might say more about Dare Agumboale than it does Ronald Jones. Uh, Maybe they just aren't happy with Dare as their primary third down back, and Rojo seems to be in a pretty comfortable spot to me, and uh, I know it's such a volatile player, it's hard to place, like, fourth or fifth round faith, but to me, Rojo is going in the right spot, and I I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone taking uh, Rojo at his current ADP.
2: I've noticed. I mean, I've been picking up uh, LaShawn McCoy very late in drafts. He's available very late, and people apparently think he's washed. the The Chiefs basically benched him. You know, to that point, he had four point six yards per carry, at twenty eight catches for one hundred eighty one yards. I realize it's the the Kansas City Chiefs offense, but um, I, I don't know that he's as washed as the fantasy community is sort of treating him. Uh, I could. There's definitely a path where he's turns into like a 200 250 touch player if, if rojo can't handle pass protection or there's an injury um and uh, he, he is known for being a great pass protector so i think that's uh the reason they signed him and, and dare you brought him up good very good receiver out of the backfield but his pass protection wasn't much better than rojo's last year uh, according to pff so maybe that's what's going on there they needed somebody they could trust um to block for uh for Tom Brady, so... It's just uh, uh, hard for
1: people to shake the image of, you know, like, Andy... Like, LaShawn was Andy's player and, like, if even Andy Reid's making him, like, a healthy scratch for the Super Bowl. Yeah, that was... Yeah, still it's a little strange, I thought. Yeah, um, it was strange.
2: Sonny Michelle returned to practice for the Patriots. Uh, you know, I, I was just spiked the football in the end zone because I took him in the 18th round he's go he's going very very late in drafts uh, Michelle is uh Damon Harris has been generated some buzz Rex Burkhead's still there this to me now smells like a situation where you just avoid it unless you want to like James White it in the seventh eighth round or something um what do you think who do you think is carrying the ball uh who's starting who's who's carrying the ball in September for this team
1: well, even James White's kind of a risky proposition, isn't he? Because before uh-huh. 2018, I mean, did Cam even really check down to running backs that often? I mean, I guess he did uh-huh. a little bit. But so all I can really say about the Patriots' backfield is that they either really love Sony or they either really love Damian Harris because I was just so surprised when they did not add another runner this offseason. And so to me, they, they either still inexplicably love Sony or – they love Damian Harris, which would also be kind of inexplicable since he couldn't get on the field at all last year. And, I mean, I wish I had a better answer. You know, I'm a fantasy expert, quote-unquote, but uh, I just don't have a good read on this at all. And, I mean, I'm leaning – if I if I was going to choose someone to lead and carries, I guess I'm leaning Damian Harris at this point. But it's – I couldn't wrap my mind around the – fact, kind of like the Packers not adding receivers on uh, the past yeah. year. I couldn't – kind of with the Patriots, I couldn't understand why they didn't add a running back. Yeah, I feel pretty.
2: You mentioned White. I feel decent about White uh, with just. I think he's a big part of that offense, and I think that's. I think Cam will try to run the offense. Uh, he did. He obviously targeted McCaffrey quite a bit. Uh, I don't. On a week to week basis, you can't necessarily trust him. I think in best ball, you can enjoy the nice. Production and then Definitely. not have to worry about the the, the two catch for fifteen yard <laughs> day yeah. that he gets, <laughs> which uh, yeah, they, they always happen
1: t- at the least opportune time. Yeah, it seems right, like. right
2: after like a streak of good games. Usually. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree. I, I I mentioned on the pod last week with Andy Barons that the I think the Patriots backfield's job is to keep us all you know employed to, you know, talking <laughs> about them every. Uh, preseason trying to figure out and parse what's happening Um, but the one thing i would mention is that cam newton being there running quarterback being there should help whatever running back is there as far as like open running lanes and and increasing the yards per carry Um, it's probably going to reduce the number of rushing touchdowns available to the running backfield and that's where they've had a lot of their value other than james white so that's just something to keep in mind as you're looking at that backfield Um, mark ingram jk dobbins gus edwards where do you stand on the ravens
1: this one to me this could be some very famous last words but to me this is one of the backfields that i think people think is confusing it's to me this isn't that confusing where i have yet to seen see compelling evidence for why the ravens will use mark ingram any differently than they did last year like he did his free agent assign like he executed his free agent assignment to perfection basically and was just the consummate two down grinder cashing in touchdowns near the goal line You know, over five yards per carry. He was in a good setup, but he cashed in that good setup. And, again, with I keep mentioning, like, the COVID offseason, but I just – I don't understand why the Ravens would force the issue with J.K. Dobbins. And he he could force their hand, you know, as the season kind of gets going and there's some momentum going downhill with the season. But just, like, especially September, early October, I just kind of expect Mark Ingram to do his 2019 thing. And I've been feeling the J.K. Dobbins. He's been going, like, around the RB30, 31 range – And that has felt like a reach for me and J.K. Dobbins.
2: I agree completely. I think Ingram is the the guy there in that backfield. And you mentioned um, A.J. Dillon before. I think he's more of a threat to Jamal Williams than he is really to Aaron Jones. And I think the same way here, Dobbins is more of a threat to Gus Edwards, who is actually, Gus Edwards has been really good the last couple of years um for the ravens but i think he's more of a threat to that role than he is to ingram i mean they just signed ingram to a three-year deal he came in did exactly what they wanted him to do and then they're going to put him out to pasture yeah. i don't get it you know and I, I see dobbins go before ingram and i i i i, I lose my mind so yeah i um, totally agree let's talk <laughs> We're old let's men talk about though, the colts so. yeah we are i am always i always go with the vet too so i'm I the boring production of the vet so um Let's talk about the Colts. Jonathan Taylor, who I'm actually quite excited about. This is a a little bit different situation because I don't think Marlon Mack has built up the uh, capital that uh, somebody like Ingram has uh, in Indianapolis. He's decent. Uh, He did a good job last year when he's been able to stay healthy, Um, but he already wasn't the third down running back, and they're they're continuing to call Mack the starter, but Taylor is another level in athleticism. And as a runner, Uh, Naheem Hines is – getting a lot of buzz as the primary pass catcher out of this backfield what do you what do you make of the Colts
1: yeah to me I think this is kind of like the opposite of the situation we just talked about in the Ravens where I mean Jonathan Taylor is like the clear like souped up version of Marlon Mack and Mark Ingram was in a great situation last year uh so was Marlon Mack you know running behind one of the best run blocking lines in the NFL and he returned replacement level production so to me it's very understandable why the Colts went out and got Jonathan Taylor because with the kind of offensive line they have, the kind of run blocking they have, you should be hitting home runs. And Marlon Mack, just wasn't doing it nearly enough. And so the Colts, I think, will force the issue with Jonathan Taylor, will want Jonathan Taylor involved early in the season. And you know, he was brought in to basically be the, the better version of Marlon Mack. So I agree. Th- I've, this year I'm like really conflicted on a lot of rookies. Jonathan Taylor is one that I feel pretty much unambiguously good about.
2: And do you think uh, in September, week one through three, what sort of touch workload do you think he's going to see right away?
1: That is an interesting question. And I mean, maybe Mack will get the ceremonial start in week one, and maybe he'll even be like the guy in the first quarter. But like, whereas J.K. Dobbins like busts off a few big runs, I don't think they're going to, the Ravens will use that as like a, a passing of the torch type situation. But say John Taylor like has like an 18 yard carry in the second quarter in week one, and follows it up with an 11 yard, like he, he could basically be given hot hand status, I think, yeah. from week one forward. Whereas I, I think even if J.K. Dobbins came out as a hot hand, he wouldn't just be given like hot hand status. But I think the Colts will be ready to ride like a hot Jonathan Taylor hand, basically.
2: We might see uh, a similar, uh, similar situation to the 49ers where the— uh... You know, Coleman gets a start and then Mostert gets most of the work because he's running a lot better uh, than, than Coleman was last year. So, And speaking of the 49ers, do you think we're going to see that similar situation? I mean, I, I've seen some camp reports where uh, Mostert is the lead back. I mean, he's the first one getting reps. Uh, Coleman and then McKinnon are taking turns after him. So do you think they, there's a changing of the guard here? And if so, are we vastly underestimating Raheem Mostert?
1: I think it is possible, and it, you know, it was kind of a perfect storm because you can understand. I mean, he was a journeyman. He was only really the starter for what, like four or five games last year, and then, you know, with the weird pseudo holdout. Um, he gave people reason to like doubt him and like fade his ADP. But, I mean, to me, I mean, Tevin Coleman just isn't a good football player. Like he's the not that's not that Sammy Watkins is a bad football player, but like Tevin Coleman is the Sammy Watkins of running backs. Like it's just. This is not going to happen. You know, Jarek McKinnon has not played since 2017. And, you know, the 49ers didn't have to do anything. They had all the leverage with Raheem Mostert. And they still kind of gave in a little bit. Like, so I think they understand the importance of Raheem Mostert to their offense. And I think it is going to be like a clear cut Mostert. Maybe every once in a while. I mean, it is Kyle Shanahan. Maybe Tevin Coleman will mix in with a big game every couple of weeks. But, uh,. I'm pretty much all the way out on Tevin Coleman. To me, there's no ADP at which Tevin Coleman would be a value. And I think Raheem Mostert's ADP is very
2: reasonable right now. Uh, Just a word on Mostert, there was a beat writer that was basically saying he's far and away the most impressive running back on the team and getting most of the work. uh, He carried the ball at least 10 times in the 49ers' final eight games, and he averaged 14.6 touches for 99 total yards. And 1.5, uh, 1.5 touchdowns per game, including he just the the, where, the game where he just shredded the, the Packers for two hundred plus that. yards. Oh well, <laughs> it was over. That game was over early. Um, I gotta say
1: a quick note. I, I I've been saying Mostert all summer. I have no idea why I just switched back to Mostert. Um, but <laughs> I, I I am a team Mostert, and for whatever reason I just switched into Mostert. I have no idea why.
2: I my philosophy is i don't know how to say it correctly so i just say whatever comes to mind and then i apologize for it later uh i
1: think it's most i
2: think it's most i think it's most but i don't know uh,
1: it's, it's hard it's tough i always to say, say
2: i'm an anal- i'm an analyst who does podcasts not a podcaster who analyzes <laughs> fans football um so I, that's how i get that's how i get out of being professional with all this um detroit lions this is a possible value play as well with DeAndre Swift. Uh, joining this team, you know, not a real big vo- vote of confidence for on Johnson, who was good as a rookie, but very, very low efficiency last year, still wearing the knee brace. Uh, but Swift has missed some practice time uh, with an injury, fair to say. Uh, they don't really have much else after those two, they have some players, but I think it, we're, we're, we're trying to decide between Swift and on and, and what sort of share this will be. So how do you see this shaking out in September and October?
1: Yeah, I think this is somewhat similar to like the Rams and Daryl Henderson where uh, like the Lions already had questions. So the, the big question the Lions had about Kerryon Johnson going into last season was was he durable, could he hold up? Because that was kind of a question mark for him as a rookie and then he didn't hold up. And it was definitely a question for him as a sophomore and then he didn't hold up again. So it's kind of like the Lions kind of projected like they've seen what they need to see from Kerryon Johnson. They don't think he can hold up as like a lead back and DeAndre Swift was probably my favorite like runner in the draft and you know now like kind of the main camp storyline for him is him being talked up as a receiver and yeah it's again it's a tough year for rookies so I'm sure Carrion will have will be a legitimate part of the backfield but I wouldn't be surprised from week one forward if DeAndre has the bigger slice of the pie and then it just keeps getting bigger week after week because yeah. To me, the carry-on has answered the, the, the question the Lions had about him, and it wasn't a good answer.
2: Yeah, definitely not the vote of confidence you're looking for when a, a team uses a, an early-round no. uh, <laughs> pick kind a running back, and you're a fairly young running back yourself. No, I mean, if, you, um, if you're using a
1: top-50 pick on a running back in 2020, uh, not a good sign if you're the existing running back. So
2: Yeah, and then that kind of brings us to the Bills. Uh, Devin Singletary, pretty good last year and big work, uh, but he had Frank Gore spelling him. Uh, Gore is gone now, and they brought in Zach Moss, who is kind of like uh, a souped-up version of Gore. Uh, good between the tackles and everything, but also a good receiver and a, you know pretty good in the passing game. So I, I've read some camp reports that Singletary had some bad days but bounced back, and I, Moss has looked very good. So uh, to me, Moss is the value here because they're, they're going like four or five rounds apart, and I think that maybe this touch share is going to be a lot closer than people think.
1: You mean this one is the most confusing to me because – well, I guess people, you know, I question Like, Devin Singletary basically performed better last year than his athletic profile, and but the Bills, you know, kind of for a while seemed, like, very hesitant to commit to him as kind of an every down back, but, you know, he kind of forced, and Frank Gore kind of forced the issue just by not being good, and by the end of the year, Devin wasn't, he wasn't an every down back, but he was getting close to an every down back, and basically I thought, like, overperformed reasonable expectations for him. But yeah, but then they bring in Moss, similar draft capital, uh, someone who's getting a lot of camp love. I mean, getting so much love for his receiving work, and that is very troubling because, you know, he's like a powerful runner too, and Moss basically seems like he can be a threat to Devin Singletary on like every front. And I like Devin Singletary. I was kind of excited about Devin Singletary coming off 2019. Yeah, this is a very volatile, uncertain situation to me. And I thought... Singletary was a value. Like earlier in the summer, I was drafting him a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I no longer feel that way and have not been drafting him in August. And
2: I agree. I yeah, this agree. This is and one I've I'm been,
1: having trouble kinda of, I'm kind of staying away from at this
2: point. I've been shifting it over to getting Moss when he's available in the I don't know, eighth, ninth, tenth round, usually ninth or tenth if he's not on the board there. I think that he's gonna offer you some every, every week value and then if there's an injury to Singletary, you might have a top ten you know, running back on your hands because yes. they're pretty run heavy there in, in Buffalo. So, all right, we'll discuss uh, the breakout tight ends after this word from our sponsors.
0: Hey, guys, if you're tired of taking a straight razor to your beanbag and having it look like a scene out of a horror show, listen up. Manscaped has you covered. They're the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They just redesigned their electric trimmer. It's called the Lawnmower 3.0, and the Manscaped engineering team spent 18 months on this bad boy. They've perfected it. Trust me. I've used it. Nice, close, comfortable shave. The thing even has an LED light. It illuminates the grooming area so you can see what you're doing. We've all been there before. We're trying to clean things up a little bit, and it winds up being a bit of a disaster because, again, you're dealing with a straight razor to the old Huevos Rancheros. You know what I mean? So stop with the dangerous weapons on your family jewels and try manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TMAP at manscaped.com. Again, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com with the code TMAP. Check out the new and improved lawn more
2: 3.0 this podcast is also brought to you today by underdog fantasy say hello to your favorite place to play fantasy football for real money underdog fantasy they offer season-long uh, best ball contests that you can do from your phone or your computer with best ball all you need to do is the fun part draft forget about injuries trades waivers setting lineups just set it forget it and wait for the winnings to come in this year they have a 1 million dollar tournament that's right just draft the best team you have and you have the shot at 1 million dollars in prizes Sign up today at uh, underdog.com or underdogfantasy.com. Enter the best ball mania and a chance for 1 million in prizes. Uh, Searching underdog fantasy in your app store to use the app. Be sure to enter the code 444, the number 4, F-O-R, the number 4. After you make your first deposit, once again, the website is underdogfantasy.com. All right, Pat, I just want to go through the list of all the breakout tight ends. These are all the guys in order of ADP. And we haven't done a really a deep dive on the tight end position on the pod lately. So I want to find out what you think and, and where you stand. Cause to me, there's a couple of guys that are extremely good values based on where they're going in this ADP relative uh, to what I think they're going to do to the, uh, compared to the guys ahead of them. So Tyler Higby, um, what four or 100 yard games in a row, or is it five or is it 10? I, I can't five remember. 80 yard
1: games in a row, 400 yard games in a row. So.
2: Yeah, so that hasn't been done often, no, or at all. Uh, so is he for real?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just a, such a weird one because you know there's so much competition for targets there. But I mean, you laid it out there. I mean, that's a special stretch of football. I mean, that'd be special for a receiver. You don't, you very rarely see 400 yard games in a row from a receiver, like from a tight end. I mean, this is a truly special. Uh, stretch of production we know about the splits like when gerald everett was in, healthy and involved i mean tyler Higbee was nowhere near that level of end of season production but you know, maybe this is one we shouldn't overthink i mean tyler Higbee was someone entered the league with a lot of hype would have been a higher draft pick without some pretty horrible off the field issues uh, but you, you got sean mcveigh talking about using more 12 personnel more two tight end sets and this when you see a player do something like that um his ADP is probably about right to me at this point. He's going to like the tight end nine or ten range. That's a good enough hedge. And in a year that is so deep a tight end, even if you Tyler Higby like flops as your tight end one, the odds are you might have another like another high upside backup. So I am not coming away with a ton in Tyler Higby, so I guess I should say that that I haven't felt fit to invest in him a ton in his ADP, but it, it doesn't strike me as egregious, even though it's a very, very difficult to predict situation.
2: Yeah, I think the loss of Brandon Cooks opens up some opportunity for everybody, and um, I think Higby could be one of those guys that benefits. And Gerald Everett, Higby situation will be interesting to watch this season, but I don't know why that, you know, you have a guy that did this much for you in a four-game, five-game stretch that you would now, you know, make him a part-timer again because Gerald Everett's back. I mean, what is Gerald I mean, Gerald Everett's fine, but what has he done to push uh, you know Higby off the field when Higby has produced at these elite levels. Uh, yeah, and it's, I think
1: it's the final year of Gerald Everett's contract. Correct? Um, um, I believe uh, so. Sorry if I'm just making that up. You don't need to fact check that right now, but I believe that is the case.
2: Um, let's just say it is.
1: Yeah, it, that's canon now. That's four for four podcast <laughs> canon. That it's Gerald Everett's
2: final year of his rookie deal. And they did. Um, they did resign Higby to a deal. Not too that, long ago, yeah, so they extended him uh, fairly... See, yeah, that fairly was the accurate. other half
1: of my point that I'm pretty sure is correct. <laughs> <laughs>
2: that part's correct, I know for sure. Uh, the Hayden Hurst uh, trade that the, uh, the Falcons pulled off as soon as Austin Hooper uh, left for Cleveland, um, which I I thought was immediately like, okay, they're just basically plugging in and playing. And I still think that. And his, his uh, ADP has risen from whatever... 11th 12th round in very early drafts to maybe the eighth round he's tight end eight or nine kind of there with Higby right after him um can he match Austin Hooper's production in this offense immediately or do you expect some you know like a downgrade from from Hooper to Hurst or maybe even upgrade I think
1: it's a downgrade it's just one of those situations where it's so tough to say because you you got a 27 year old third year pro that's never had 400 yards receiving and you know, Matt Matt Ryan has a reputation for targeting tight ends, but you know that was Tony Gonzalez, one of the greatest of all time, mm-hmm. and then Austin Hooper after like a very gradual build up in Atlanta and like a very gradual getting to know the offense and becoming a producer. And I just Hayden Hurst ADP strikes me as a bit aspirational. I mean, he is a former first round pick, but it's also weird to me. You know, the team that like loves tight ends more than life itself. You know, saw fit to trade him. Um, mm-hmm. so I don't think he'll be matching Austin Hooper's number. I don't expect Hayden Hurst to like be like a spectacular flop or anything like that. But yeah, people looking for Austin Hooper levels production, I, I do not think that will be happening.
2: Yeah, Hooper finished the season's number six fantasy tight end despite missing three games. He was tied for third in per-game production, so I guess asking that of Hurst is a pretty big stretch. The, the thing I like about Hurst is that, yeah, he was behind Mark Andrews, who we know is awesome. And I think he was behind Nick Boyle because Boyle's a pretty good blocking tight end. Um, but his uh, yards per route run um, per PFF was 1.69. Uh, that was the same as Eckert's. That was more than Hunter Henry and Hooper uh, who were at 1.67, 1.65 them, uh, themselves. So there is like, I, I could, I definitely think the top five, eight, eh, top five, season is possible if things break his way like he sees a ton of work stays healthy and some other guys at the position get injured or something um but he's going whatever tight end nine or ten yeah, I mean that's a, uh, in such a deep what, year
1: for tight end it strikes me as excessive um but I I yeah. do I, I do understand the case right I don't think the case for Hayden Hurst is like crazy I just don't necessarily agree with it
2: what about Noah Fant what do you think of him
1: I mean, special player, special playmaker. He's 562 yards were the 15th most uh, by a rookie tight end since the merger. But you know, just such an uncertain situation with the new play caller, all the new draft picks. Uh, no one like really blew it up with Drew Locke. I mean, Cortland Sutton or Noah Fant. And but I mean, he's, he's such a special prospect. And anytime like a, a rookie kind of like lives up. To their pre-draft billing, like what kind of player they're going to be in the NFL, I take notice, and like Noah Fant did that. It's just it's just very hard because it's still going to be a run-based offense, I'm assuming, and to suddenly so many mouths to feed. Um, but Noah Fant again, he's going like right around like the tight end one-two borderline, and to me that's a very appropriate spot for Noah Fant because he could be just a player where like talent overcomes all, and he's just going to be a baller. Um, so yeah, I have no no qualms with Noah Fant's ADP.
2: Yeah, I would agree that the uh, the additions of Judy and Hamler makes us pretty uncertain. And
1: and even Melvin you know, F- Gordon. Melvin Gordon's a good pass catcher. Sure.
2: And Fant was way up there in air yards, which could be like the trump card that he has. If they if he starts hitting some of these deep shots, because he wasn't a big volume guy even last year. It was 4.1 targets per game, and that was without these other weapons that were on the field. Um the final month of the season, he was playing less than 60% of the snaps, and that's not, like, super encouraging. So I, I, I don't have much fan unless he slips past some of these other guys that I'm targeting. Uh, Mike Gisicchi, uh he finished strong. Uh, I don't know how much of that was due to the Preston Williams injury. They, his spike in production uh, happened after the Williams injury, so, you know, causation, correlation, all that discussion. Uh, but he did – run a lot of his snaps out of the slot. They view him as a receiver, it appears, more than the tight end. Um, it's just the, what worries me is that his, his target share with with Preston Williams in the lineup was not real high. It was 17.7% after the injury and 12% of Ryan Fitzpatrick's pass attempts prior to the injury. So what do you make of a Gasicki breakout?
1: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be in the big slot role, which is a good place for a tight end to be. And, I mean, the, the the splits before and after Preston Williams were impossible to ignore. But, you know, following the Albert Wilson and Alan Hearns opt-outs, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the kind of like – I was kind of out on Mike Gisecki, uh Jacecki, however we pronounce it um, – before the opt out. The opt-outs kind of – you know, they're not like critical players for the Dolphins. I mean, they were people that were going to be getting targets. And – to me, that was enough to kind of – to basically basically Mike, make Mike Jusecki reasonable. And, again, not someone um, whose ADP was maybe aspirational before that now feels more appropriate to me. And, you know, a lot of people do not love, like, Mike Jusecki, the player. But I think the situation – I think he can kind of, like, find the middle ground between that, that pre- and post-Preston uh, Williams target share from last year. And I, I think he'll be he – he'll, he'll be fine. Mike Jusecki will be fine, basically.
2: I like, I like the sum up there. He'll be fine. Uh, TJ Hawkinson uh, is probably probably the tight end that has bounced around the most on my in my rankings due to this foot situation that he has. But then he's also getting these glowing uh, practice reports where he's just dominating practice and dominating the red zone. Um, he was the number 20 tight end by the time he was injured in week 13. Uh, 31% of his fantasy points came against the Cardinals. He had six for six for 131 and one in the week Freak week one. Uh, Ricky tight ends don't usually make a huge fantasy impact. And he was one of 19 since the 2000 season to average at least 30 yards per game. So that's on the plus side. Not much has changed in Detroit. Uh, Hawkinson breakout. Is that, is it on or not? Is it not on?
1: It's a, it's definitely within the range of possibilities. I would say it's probably not the most likely outcome, but I mean, a special, you know, a special talent, a special kind of prospect. And, an offense that appears, hopefully, will remain very aggressive, very vertical, like it was with the eight games of Matthew Stafford last year. And again, the ADP is so reasonable, like the tight end fifteen range, where th- that's a perfectly fine spot to bet on someone with TJ Hawkinson. you know, it wasn't an amazing rookie year, but he did nothing to disprove you know, like his huge talent, like in the, the kind of like really special projections you can make for his career. So, a tight end fifteen. That that seems like the sweet spot for me and my and uh, T.J. Hawkinson.
2: So I'm uh, not getting a lot of Fant, Kasiki, Hawkinson, and it's because of the next couple of guys that we're going to talk about. Jenu Smith for the Titans, um, low usage player last year, but when he he's so productive when he gets the ball, and this wide receiver two or number two option in the passing game in Tennessee is wide open. I mean, they're they're looking for playmakers. Uh, do you think he gets a little bit of a bigger role and is able to to become a tight end one this year, or are we still looking at more of a low usage afterthought? And then when he does get the ball, he dominates type of a play.
1: He could be. He could def- tight end ten to sixteen feels like probably where Jonah Smith will end up. And it's a narrow target tree, an offense without a lot of target hogs, and someone who is a big time weapon with the ball in his hands. And the Titans coaching staff, the tight end coach. Uh, came out and said, you know, he's someone they're going to try to scheme the ball to. And, you know, sometimes you don't like to hear that because it means, like, the player has to have the ball schemed to them. They can't just, like, come open by themselves. But it's such a narrow target tree, and he's such a weapon with the ball in his hands that I think they'll make it happen. I think it'll happen. And he'll be good. He'll be good in, like, the tight end 1-2 kind of, like, border region.
2: Yeah, and that's where he was week seven on. He basically played at a low tight end one pace. Um if he can get to like an 80, 90 target role, he could he could really eat. And I think in this in this uh, the this season with this the way the tight end situation set up or like the tight end ranks, it's just there's so many guys in this tier that could break out. And I'm trying to grab two of them. Uh, if I if I don't have a, a stud on the roster, I try to grab two and hope that one of them breaks out the way I think they're going to. Blake J, Blake Jarwin's the next guy. Um, high yards, uh, just like Johnny Smith, high yards per route run Um, he was gaining a lot of steam uh, early in the offseason and then they drafted a cd lamb and then suddenly the the wind was out of his sail but i don't think it really matters a whole i mean obviously it'd be better if they hadn't drafted cd lamb is from a target standpoint but you know randall cobb left uh quite a few uh targets on the board and jason Witten left quite a few routes and targets on the board so i think jarwin's gonna be fine and this is one of the most productive uh, passing attacks in the league and he's not going to see double coverage or any sort of attention from the defense other than uh passing attention so i don't what do you what do you make of jarwin is it is, it, uh, is he a breakout candidate again this year
1: i suppose he's just someone that for whatever reason i haven't devoted a ton of like mind space to this off season and uh, he's just kind of been like a 2020 blind spot for me. i just haven't been thinking about blake jarwin much and I think maybe I've probably been overly simplistic and just the way I view the situation and that yeah, it's just hard for me to see. They said there are targets on the table there after Randall Cobb was gone, but I mean to have such two great receivers, kind of almost alpha type receivers and Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup, and then, you know, such a high draft investment rookie. And then, you know, of course, Ezekiel Elliott uh, will be such a point of emphasis for the offense that I just don't know if he can get consistent enough usage to kind of crash like that tight end one streamer party, but I mean, he's mm-hmm. a intriguing player and you know he's in a great offense too. And so maybe, maybe he's just kind of doomed to be a matchup play, but I mean, even that's like a good outcome. Uh, if you're like a, a matchup based streamer and that's definitely, I mean, to me, that's very realistic for Blake Jarwin in 2020.
2: Yeah. I think the key will be lamb. And uh, you know, I think Cobb had 80 something targets. So if, if lamb sees a lot more than that, then he's going to start eating into other roles and it could be the other receivers, or it could be Jarwin, or it could be uh, Ezekiel Elliott, Um, but if he just gets the 80-85 targets that Cobb saw, and Jarwin just takes over most of what Witten left on the table, and Cooper, and uh, Gallup, and uh, Zeke, get what they were getting, then I think there's uh, certainly a tight end one uh, finish on the table for him. Uh, Chris Herndon has been getting a lot of buzz. He had a great rookie year, sat out most of last year for various reasons, but the, he's getting a lot of buzz in camp. Um, the The Jets receiving situation is once again dire. It looked like yes. it was shaping up to be decent with, you know, Crowder and uh, Brashad Perryman who was injured, but I think he's going to be back this week. Uh, Denzel Mims was supposed to come in and help, and he's got a hamstring injury, so he's going to be way behind. They're, they're talking of Chris Hogan now as a as a first stringer who was was, was on the street a week ago. Um, Herndon looks like he's prime for a breakout, huh?
1: Yeah, I mean he's someone who uh, kind of earlier in the off season after such a lost sophomore year, I wasn't super in on. But I mean, first off, the, the Jets are basically sub Packers at receiver, and not basically they are. And you never want to go sub Packers at receiver and. <laughs> Like a lot of these guys, you know, are kind of like luxuries for their offense that we've been talking about. Like Chris Herndon's not a luxury. Like the Jets really need Chris Herndon to be a big part of their offense. And I'm a little surprised his ADP has not cre- crept higher. He's still beyond tight end 20, I believe. And like the Jets, you know, he was had a very strong rookie year. Was very hyped last year. Uh, we know that didn't happen, but extremely hyped again. Someone they just, they really need to perform. And, yeah, I think his ADP is, is way too low,
2: to be frank. Yeah, he's starting to, for me, starting to push Jarwin and Janu as a guy that I want, you know, at his cost because he's so cheap. Um, and he's available at the point that he's available in the draft. It's just a better value than some of these other guys we were talking about here in this section of the podcast. I mean, it's, he might be the number two target in this offense, like in terms of total targets. So, um, And then he's got some tape to prove and some – you know, his rookie season, he actually did it. He's shown that he can play. So um, and a very another another very intriguing name at this point in the draft. Ian Thomas is a guy I'm ending up with a lot. He seems to be getting pushed down. Uh, pushed. I mean, there's some buzz about him, but then he's been getting pushed down the rankings because some of these other guys are kind of creeping up. And I'm, I wonder what your take is on him. He basically produced at a 62 catch, 619, 5.3 touchdown pace, uh, 6.1 targets per game in the nine games over the last two seasons that uh, Greg Olson missed. Uh, so this is those are tight the low end tight end one numbers so he's, he's done it uh, in that small of the sample uh, there is some moving parts around him I mean new quarterback but it's a better quarterback um, new you know new offensive coordinator you, you've added Robbie Anderson to the mix uh, do you think there's going to be enough to make Thomas a you know, a a weekly starter, or or at least in the streaming conversation.
1: He's just someone that that I find kind of like easy to juxtapose with Chris Herndon. Whereas, say the Jets, you know, really need Herndon, whereas the Panthers have two kind of already the best compilers in the NFL, Target Hogs and DJ Moore and Christian McCaffrey, you know, then of course Curtis Samuel, then they add yet another receiver. And like you said, a new quarterback, a new coach, a new play caller, just a lot of moving parts for a player who's, you know, hasn't done it yet and fantasy, I mean, we, there's plenty of reasons to be intrigued, like someone we should be high on, but just maybe too many variables, too much target competition for Ian Thomas. To, it's not a, you know, it's a totally reasonable ADP, but I just, it could be difficult for him to kind of break through, even if he's good enough to break through, which I think he probably is, it just might be a difficult year for him to break through.
2: I'll be getting him as my like tight end two after I uh, take a, a stud tight end early, or I End up with a Jared Cook or something, and I wait a long time in the tight end. I'm hoping to get like a Jarwin or Janu or Herndon, and then those guys get snatched up, and then around later I'm able to get Ian Thomas. So that's sort of where I'm landing him. It's not the guy I want. I go into the draft wanting to get, but I'm pretty happy to get him as my second tight end in these best ball drafts. Um, Irv Smith. I'm not real crazy about him. Uh, you know, I don't know how many snaps he's going to play relative to even Kyle Rudolph, who's still on the roster. Uh, they do have a hole at. You know, as far as targets left on the table, vacated targets by uh, Stefan Diggs. They drafted Just Jefferson to to try to accommodate that. But, you know, there's a lot of people that like Smith. What do you make of Irv Smith?
1: Yeah, I mean, a player I really like, but maybe he's just kind of stuck in, like, an early career Martellus Bennett situation where he's, like, a clearly good player, but is behind a tight end. This has been entrenched there for a really long time. And Kyrie Rudolph's still, like, such a threat in the red zone. And... So the targets are there for the taking, which is what's really working in Irv Smith's favor. Like This could easily be a, an offense that funnels regular looks to two different tight ends. But it just just because t- Kyle Rudolph's not going away, and we know it's going to be a, a run-obsessed offense, and it could just be another year. He, he could be in the Goddard zone, too, where he's just a clearly super talented tight end, but he just can't. Not that Kyle, Kyle Rudolph is anywhere as good as Zach Ertz, are as big of an impediment as Zach Ertz is for Dallas Goddard. But and this could be another year where Irv Smith flashes a ton, but the role just doesn't materialize because it's just not there. And uh, someone I don't have a ton of shares of this year.
2: Yeah, I don't have much of him either. I think the fantasy community is higher on him than I am. I just, as, as, as I do projections, it's hard to get uh, some of these players, you know, target shares, catch shares, yard shares, et cetera, to get him to where I can justify drafting them at their ADP, unless you're really expecting like a shift in uh, usage or a shift in uh, snaps. Uh, so this is one of those situations where um, does not don't have many shares of Er Smith at all. But I know he's a favorite, so that's why I wanted to bring him up and glad He's a good player to your... too. Yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, it's just a
1: tough situation.
2: Well, and and it's a, it, with um uh with the new OC there and blanking on his name. Uh, I forget the new uh, Kubiak yeah Uh, yeah,
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's Kubiak (laughs) Um,
2: he's uh, yeah uh, Gary Kubiak has been a pretty tight end friendly OC so it's one of those situations too where you know if you're drafting two tight ends and hoping one breaks out and then something happens to Kyle Rudolph all of a sudden you might have a tight end one on on your hands I mean Smith goes to a 50-60% type player to a 90% player and, and you know he ends up being the number two option in this offense that's pretty pretty big jump for him so he's sort of an attrition play kind of like goddard where you know you draft draft goddard and all of a sudden something happens to Ertz, you end up with a it's true a guy who has a tight end one in his range of outcomes like the overall tight end one
1: but i think we just realized that uh that we're gonna get an owen daniels season out of kyle rudolph so uh (laughs) that's a shame
2: (laughs) which owen daniels season all right um thank you pat doherty for coming on the podcast uh really appreciate it great insight on the backfields, and the tight end situation in the the tight end two ranks. Um, So be sure to follow Rotopat on Twitter, at Rotopat. You can also find his work at Rotoworld. He doesn't always sign it. He does some of the blurbs over there still. Is that true? I do, yeah. I still
1: do a... Lot of the blurbs, so so
2: yeah. he doesn't always sign it, but there's some funny ones that sometimes I think are. I, I give credit <laughs> to you whether or not they're, they're that's, it. that's a good not. thing but, about having a reputation.
1: Uh, Once so, people decide you're funny, I get credit for all the funny blurbs we have, so yeah. Uh,
2: unless you get direct asked asked directly about one, you don't usually say yes or no on, on it. I saw there's one with a uh, CD Carter, Mr. Denny, uh, yes, yes, so I got uh, some competition now. Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's a funny guy, all right. So be sure to follow Rotopat at Rotopat. Uh, Be sure to take part in the 444 FFPC main event giveaway. Uh, Go to bit.ly slash 444give. Uh, Please review and rate rate the pod. That helps us uh, get a word out about the pod. And we'll see you next time on the Most Accurate Podcast.